My wife says I overthink stuff. And on today's episode of the Thumb and Hammer podcast, I once again prove her right. Home improvements, home renovations, home maintenance, home repairs, and all the other challenges of home ownership. Welcome to the Thumb and Hammer Home Improvement Podcast. Welcome to episode 32 of the podcast. My name is Doug, and my finances are a mess. I've already talked a little about the financial situation previously, but this week I want to take a closer look at what went wrong. Money is always going to be an issue when it comes to home improvements. How do you finance the big projects? Well, rule number one is don't use your credit cards. We broke rule number one. You see, when we moved, we were a two-income family. Taking on some short-term debt didn't seem like it was going to be a big deal, except our circumstances changed. And when they changed, we waited a long time before we adapted. So we found ourselves carrying credit card balances, and we got to the point where our outflows exceeded our inflows. I have already talked about the steps that we took to stop the bleeding, but we lost a lot of blood. So, what happened? Well, we charged a lot on our credit cards. The biggest expense was the electrical. When we first moved in, we had the panel changed. That was kind of necessary. The panel was overloaded. We also had some circuits run to the garage, and Later that summer, when I put up a partition wall for the guest room, we had more circuits run for a kitchenette in the hallway. Could I have DIY'd some of that? (laughs) Yeah, you betcha. But I wanted to make sure that everything was done above board in this house. I had to hire an electrician to do the panel anyway, right? Well, that electrician that we hired came at a premium. We spent something like eight or nine thousand dollars in total for the electrical work. And that got charged on the credit card. We also bought a lot of new furniture for the house, but that was mostly covered by the equity that we kept out from the sale of our other house. There was also the laundry team. All the appliances were supposed to be included when we bought this house, but the previous owner got kind of confused with the multiple offers that he had and did not leave the washer and dryer behind. Now, rather than move the old appliances back in, we decided to go out and buy new. It seemed like a good idea at the time, but now we have some debt accumulating. Then my wife gets restructured out of her job. Family business. And, well, we're not family. Know what I'm saying? And the unemployment situation turned out to be more than just temporary. Now, it's not like the part-time job paid a lot, but losing that income was a huge hit. You know, when you figure $13,000 per year take-home, after two years, that's $26,000 that we lost. And, oh yeah, I almost forgot. 
our lovely daughter decided that she wanted to go to a high school with an arts program. Now, she could have gone to the local high school, which is about a 20-minute walk away, but no. She chose to audition for a program in a school that is 35 kilometers away. And darn the luck, she was accepted. We could have said no, but the only additional expense is gas money. There's no bus where we live, so we have to drive her. But we figured that we should be able to carpool with someone to share the expense. Someone. Anyone? No? Well, talk about irony. The audition was the same day as our home inspection. This falls in the category of wish we had known. We definitely could have done our house hunting in an area that at least had transit that she could take to school instead of buying where we did. But as my wife said, it's only for four years. The school wasn't terribly far from where my wife was working. Trips could have been combined, but obviously that's not the way things worked out. Nope. Instead, we are talking about a 70-kilometer round trip twice a day. 140 kilometers per day, 700 kilometers per week, which is roughly a tank of gas in whatever vehicle we're using. So what we're talking about here is around... $70 to $90 extra in fuel each week, multiplied by what, 38 weeks or so? And now we're in our third year. So the first two years cost us somewhere around, I don't know, 5,700 bucks in gas just for this commute. Now, I am a proud dad. If I have to postpone my retirement, I will do it. Whatever it takes to give my daughter any advantages that I can. So 5700 bucks is rather insignificant in the grand scheme of things, but the timing right now, well, it's another painful expense. Well, you can see how quickly everything can go south. So it gets to the point where the outflows exceed the inflows by around $200 per week. Debt is piling up. And there's interest on that debt. Money gets moved from one credit card to another until we get to where we are today. Maxed out. We have a car payment. Because we bought a newer car when our car, which was almost paid off, was totaled in an accident. So instead of a couple more months of car payments, we tacked on a few more years of car payments. Had we known the employment situation was going to change, we would have shopped within the amount that we received for the settlement. I told my wife that she should have grabbed her neck, but um, I digress. We also have monthly payments for the waterproofing in the basement and for a new front door. The front door definitely could have waited had we known about the employment situation. Anyway, you get the idea. So... Like I said in an earlier podcast, we eliminated one of our storage units and we no longer pay for cable or home phone. That helps immensely. That makes up for the lost income. At least we are no longer going further into the hole. Right? (laughs) Yeah, if only that were true. The car needed a new headlamp. 
According to the owner's manual, that type of headlamp could only be serviced by a dealer, not a DIY replacement. And uh, not an inexpensive part either. Total cost of parts and labor came to about $130. My van started making some funny noises. A hum coming from a rear wheel. The cost to replace the wheel bearing and a sticking caliper came to about $700 after taxes. A month or two ago, I was on my way home from work when I pulled into a gas station to fill up. There was a lot of steam coming from under the hood. Turned out to be the heater hose. Now, this one still feels kind of like a scam, but my research verifies that the charge was not out of line. Over $300. And oh yeah, I almost forgot. Two years ago, we spent two grand to get the air conditioning in the van fixed. That is part of the balance that we are carrying now. The air conditioning is a must. The minivan is our family hauler when we travel. That includes hauling the in-laws around when we visit them. Now, the air conditioning does not affect the drivability of the van, but stupid things like the wheel bearing, which could eventually seize up with catastrophic consequences, the brakes, which, you know, stop the vehicle and prevent it from hitting things, and the heater hose leak, which, you know, could lead to the engine overheating and doing more damage. Stupid things like that. Those are not exactly optional repairs. To keep the van on the road, they had to be done. Again, MasterCard to the rescue. So, that is how we got into the dire financial straits that we find ourselves in today. Meanwhile, I have some home improvement projects that are in various stages of unfinishedness. Is that even a word? Our house is, well, it's a bit of a mess. Two of the biggest projects that we have going on right now are the basement and the garage. The garage is going to be my woodworking shop. Having a woodworking shop, or any shop for that matter, will make doing other home improvements much easier. It will also be my source of sanity when I retire. The basement, which I have talked about ad nauseum, um, we had water problems. We fixed the water problem. The fix involved removing the bottom two feet of the framing to install drainage around the perimeter. Now I have to repair the walls. Instead of doing a Mickey Mouse repair, I decided to reframe the walls completely. When you have one chance to do something right, you better do it right while you have the chance. Right? So, back to the garage. I want climate control. I want to be able to store glue and paint and stain in the garage and work in the garage year-round. So, I want cooling in the summer, and I want heat in the winter. Now, obviously, that's not going to happen yet, given our financial situation. But if and when I do invest in heating and cooling, the garage is going to need to be insulated. It wasn't. But it was drywalled. We could have got drill and fill cellulose in the walls, but... It was actually cheaper for me to remove the drywall and install bat insulation myself. That's the walls. Now, the ceiling, on the other hand, poses another problem. Again, there's no insulation. 
The attic space is not insulated, but there is vapor barrier. Unfortunately, the vapor barrier is completely deteriorated. No bueno. Oh, tearing down the drywall is not an option with the garage door and the opener and all that stuff. That's a can of worms that I just don't want to open. So I would have to work from the attic side. Now you may be asking, why not just use faced bat insulation, go up in the attic, lay the faced bat insulation face down, and you're done. Easy, right? Well, the Ontario Building Code requires that the vapor barrier be continuous, and in this case it would not be. Home Depot and Lowe's don't even sell faced bats, and that is likely the reason why. If this was a detached garage, I might be tempted to cheat the system, but the garage is attached to the house. Besides, I have seen what happens to craft face bad insulation over time. It was used in the rafters of the money pit, and it had completely disintegrated. So, to do it right, I would have to crawl up into the attic and install new vapor barrier from the top side of the joists. That means going over each joist, down into each bay. Across the bay, up over the joist, down into the bay, across the bay, up uh, royal pain in the tuchus. And then, of course, I would have to install the insulation. There has to be a better way. Indeed, there is. I called an insulation company, and they recommended a two-inch layer of closed-cell spray foam insulation, which would provide the vapor barrier. And then, over top of that, they would install the bad insulation to bring the insulation value up to about an R40 or whatever. Sounds good. But the cost of doing the spray foam portion of the job is less than $800, which is their minimum for using their equipment. Wow, by gum, I'm going to need to insulate the other side of the basement. I have already insulated and drywalled one side of the basement. The other side still needs to be done. And spray foam is ideal for basements. And that would save me from having to do the insulation and vapor barrier in the basement myself. So, I get the estimate to do the basement at the same time. The estimate is broken down into each element of the project. I can accept or decline each element. The total cost is not outrageous, and if not for our money woes, there would be no hesitation. But, considering our money woes, can I justify that expense? So I take a closer look at the numbers and I do some comparison. This is where the overthinking stuff comes in. Spray foam in the basement is about R20. For me to achieve R20 with bad insulation, first of all, I would be using rock wool, formerly known as rock sole, which is a mineral wool insulation. Now, Rockwall has a product called Comfort Board, which can be attached to the block before the framing is installed. That provides a continuous thermal break and additional R value, so using the Comfort Board with the Comfort Bats, that would bring the insulation value up to about R20. Spray foam expands, so it fills the space behind the framing to provide that thermal break, so the two systems are comparable in what they achieve. Anyway, the cost of doing the comfort board plus the comfort bats ends up costing about the same as spray foam. 
No real advantage to doing it myself, and a really, really good argument for paying the pros. However, when it comes to the garage, I can do that myself, which involves crawling up in the attic space, laying the vapor barrier, as I already described, installing the insulation. Or, I can pay to have it done, which involves the spray foam and bat insulation and someone else crawling up in the attic. If I do it myself, I would save about $600. That's a significant amount of money, especially when we are nickel and diming everything right now. I mean, this is a big argument for DIYing it. The savings. The labor, well, that cost me nothing but my time. No brainer. My only excuse is laziness. And really, given our finances, do I really have any other choice? Well, here's the thing. I am a big guy. Getting up in the attic won't be any fun at all. Cottage-style roof, not much space. But surely for $600, I could suck it up and deal with it. Do it right, do it once, I never have to get up there again. But. It's a little more complicated than that. About 12 years ago, I was shoveling my driveway in the winter, which is when you'd expect to be shoveling snow. I'm tossing shovelfuls of snow when suddenly I feel something pop. In the time span of about a second, I feel excruciating pain as I tore a muscle in my back. Unable to move any other way, I ended up face down in the snow. Fortunately, the neighbor across the road and the neighbor from a couple doors down noticed and they came to my aid and helped me to the minivan in the driveway. My wife drove me to the hospital where they pumped me full of morphine, gave me some pain pills and sent me on my way. It took some time, but the injury healed, or so I thought. A couple months later, though, I was at the arena watching my daughter skate. I was just standing at the glass. Not like I was bending or twisting or anything. I was just standing there. And all I did was take a half step back. And that was enough. I could feel the muscle tearing again. I was able to get to the van after the lesson was over and drive home. And I managed to make my way up onto the porch and then inside the door. I wanted to get to the bedroom to crash on the bed, but that did not happen. Just as I'd done the face plant in the snow, I ended up face down in the family room. A dozen attempts to move over the next few hours proved futile. Futile? Anyway, eventually my wife called the ambulance, and I ended up back at the hospital where they pumped me full of morphine and gave me some pain pills and sent me on my way. I haven't experienced that kind of pain again, but my back has never been 100% since. Now, don't get me wrong. I am not using this as an excuse to not do something. My back is hurty. I do plenty of stuff when my back hurts. I don't overexert, but I still exert. You know what I mean? I just work a little slower, more carefully, but I still work. So no, I'm not saying, I have a bad back, therefore I can't do this thing. 
What I am saying is this. What if I twist the wrong way when I'm up in the attic? There's not a lot of room up there. It's awkward. Two times I have ended up face down in too much pain to move without assistance. Who will assist me if this happens up in the attic? I haven't worried about re-injuring my back when I hauled four by eight sheets of drywall into the house and down the stairs alone, or when I've hung sheets of drywall alone, or done any other work, high or low, moving bales of insulation or laying laminate floors or painting or any other of a myriad of home improvement projects. And I think the reason I never thought twice about that was because whether I was upstairs or in the basement, I was still accessible. (laughs) Up in the attic of the garage? Well, that would be another story entirely. Let's face it. There is plenty of opportunity for injury when it comes to home improvements. And maybe I am taking a risk when I hang drywall all by my lonesome. But working in an enclosed space just seems to be riskier to me. I just think there would be more opportunity to move something the wrong way when there aren't as many options for movement. So, is it worth $600 to have someone else take those risks for me? (laughs) Absolutely. Am I being a wuss? (laughs) Maybe. Can I justify spending the extra $600? Well, I could just use the laziness excuse. I mean, there is a part of me that simply doesn't want to have to mess around with a vapor barrier up in the attic, going up over each joist and down across each bay. Better someone else than me. I am getting too old for this crap. But there is the other part of me that asks, what if? What if I re-injure my back? Aggravate the existing injury. Never mind the logistics of getting my fat ass down from the attic, assisted or unassisted. If I hurt myself and have to miss a week of work, I would lose more than $600. So, it comes down to a question not whether I can afford to pay someone to do that work, but rather can I afford the risk of doing it myself. Do-it-yourself home improvements are inherently risky. Whether it's just suffering from the aches and pains of working muscles that you don't usually work, or the chance of real injury from a huge list of hazards too extensive to list here, it's all about working safe. And uh, sometimes the safest way to work is to pay someone else to do the work. I will insulate the walls of the garage. I will attach the vapor barrier. I will hang the sheathing material, but... I will find that extra $600 somewhere so I don't have to get up into the attic. For me, that's just too much of a risk. Before I wrap things up, I have shared a lot of personal financial information in this episode. And it would be very easy to generalize and say that we made a lot of bad decisions. But the point I'm trying to make is that it's not just one decision, and it's not necessarily bad decisions. 
a lot of it just has to do with timing. It's that whole perfect storm thing. I don't think there's any doubt that had my wife's employment situation not changed, we would have been okay. But once that happened, we probably should have reacted a lot quicker to mitigate our expenses. Choosing to move when we did and where we did, we could have spent another winter in our other house and built up more equity. But who could predict what the market would be in the spring? That decision set a whole lot of other things in motion. Buying the house that we bought and the unfortunate water problem. A different house may have had other problems that may or may not have been more serious. Even with a home inspection, there is always a bit of a gamble. Choosing to get the basement waterproofed. Now we can argue this point all day long. I could have just replaced the carpet or the flooring and bought a new sump pump and kept my fingers crossed each time it rained. Paying a licensed electrician to do some of the work that I could have done myself. It'll be worth it, I said. When we sell, we can say that the work was done by a licensed electrician, I said. It'll be a selling point, I said. Well, there is a price tag associated with that. Our daughter's education choice. We could have just said no. Or had we waited or had any inkling, we could have moved to a neighborhood serviced by transit or moved within walking distance to the school. Continuing to pay for two storage units for as long as we did. Or indeed, paying for one storage unit for as long as we have. Not cutting off our cable or home phone sooner. Every month the cable bill came in, I wept. I don't watch a whole lot of TV myself, but this was a family expense. Sometimes you just have to make the hard decisions when it comes to certain luxuries. As they say, hindsight is twenty twenty. It's easy to look back now and see the big picture. There are a lot of shouldas. We should have done certain things, if we had known at the time. But it's not as obvious when you are in it. It's not simply a case of, if only we had done this one thing. I guess we were a lot like Chrysler and GM in the mid-2000s, before they went belly up. GM's plan to get back in the black was based on increasing their market share. When their market share was the problem. What they needed to do was adjust to their shrinking market share. Like GM, we needed to adjust to our shrinking income. And we needed to react sooner than we did instead of continuing to spend as if we had two incomes. I basically looked at the whole thing as, well, things are bad, but we will get out of this mess once the wife starts working again and our income level returns to what it used to be. We needed to base our plan on what our income was now, plain and simple. That's the best advice that I can pass along to you. Keep a close eye on your finances and be prepared to adjust if your situation changes. Prioritize your home improvements as much as possible. 
avoid having multiple projects going on at the same time. Consider your costs and expenses from every angle. Try to take a bird's eye view and spend wisely. Avoid cutting corners that will end up costing you more money. Getting back to the insulation thing, we are going to have to insulate anyway. That is a given, but we do have some discretion when it comes to how much we spend. I could cut corners now. Does the basement need to be R20? I could DIY it, skip the comfort board, insulate to R14, and that would be good enough, wouldn't it? Would there be much of a difference in energy costs, or will I regret not insulating the basement to the highest standard while I have the chance? I could crawl up in the garage attic myself and save $600. That ain't chump change. But if I aggravate my previous injury, it could cost me more than that in lost wages. I mean, you could do everything right. Save up and pay cash for your home improvement project. And you could even stay within your budget without taking on additional debt. But if you drain your savings, will you be able to handle other unexpected expenses if or when they blindside you? What adjustments can you make? And with that, I am going to wrap up this episode of the podcast. I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. You can find me on Twitter at Thumb and Hammer. The website is thumbandhammer.com. If you have any home improvement questions, you can either drop me a line or use the voicemail app on the contact page. And if you enjoy the podcast, tell a friend and leave a rating in your favorite podcast directory. That would really help me out. I will talk to you again soon. Cheers.